The Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women-building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Startup Canada's head office, located in Ottawa, is situated on the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. Startup Canada recognizes the inherent and treaty rights of Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the ancestral and unceded territories of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. The Startup Women Advocacy Network, SWAN, is a curated group of 11 women-identifying, early-stage entrepreneurs who advocate and champion the needs of women entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast. Where modern meets tradition, Cascadena Designs artfully intertwines nature and culture in each creation. They create First Nations-inspired apparel and jewelry for people who want to celebrate Indigenous culture. Founder of Cascadena Designs, Natasha Peter, started her business as a hobby seven years ago while attending college. Her sewing skills were taught from her elders and her grandparents, who she cherishes and admires. We are honored to have her as our Yukon Swan representative. To learn more, visit cascadenadesigns.com. Soul Fitness founder and mother of three, Julie Arsenault-Dupuis, had a dream of providing a safe environment for women to exercise and move their bodies. In 2021, she followed her dream and opened her first studio. What makes Soul Fitness unique is the community, the coaches, and their values. It's a space created for you, a place filled with love, acceptance, and motivation. Julie's vibrant personality and passion to push boundaries will keep you motivated through every track. We're thrilled to have her as our New Brunswick Swan representative. To learn more, visit soulfitnessdiep.com. That's soulfitnessdiepp.com. To learn more about Swan and the amazing work of these women founders, head to www.startupcan.ca slash startup dash women dash advocacy dash network dash 2023. The world is your oyster. It's full of opportunities. But what about trade agreements, laws, market research, and shipping costs? For entrepreneurs who want to go global, opportunities for growth can quickly feel risky, unclear, and even out of reach. For Black and racialized entrepreneurs, these feelings are often amplified. Evelyn Niaro is the founder of Ellie Bianca, a natural skincare line built on the pillars of kind to your skin, kind to the earth, and kind to women. Ellie Bianca was created to empower women and is an example of what women are capable of. Evelyn has navigated through a great journey of growing Ellie Bianca within Canada and beyond, but it wasn't without questions, challenges, and even fear. You have to know your market. And maybe the before I even get to that, maybe the one is overcoming the fear. Because oftentimes when you think about you know, building an international company, expanding beyond what you're comfortable with, there's that fear that comes in. So it's actually easier 
once you have that data, once you know, it's so much easier to approach the market. So take the time, know the market, and the best way to know is just really to surround yourself with these partners. This is where experts like Miriam Francisk come in. Miriam is the national lead for Black and racialized exporters at Export Development Canada. EDC. Miriam strives to create generational wealth and economic power through capacity building, unbiased access to capital, and equity awareness. Miriam and EDC support entrepreneurs like Evelyn to approach Glowing Global with strategy, confidence, and resources so they can be successful. You don't go to a foreign market like you just decide to go to uh, Alberta or Ontario or Quebec, <laughs> even though some, sometimes it's also difficult. So <laughs> they really need to be intentional and have that, you know, when I, I was talking about homework, they need to have own, they need to do their research. They need to have all their data. In this conversation, we learn about the resources that exist for women entrepreneurs who are global curious, those who are ready to step into international markets, and explore the decisions that you might encounter as you navigate global growth. Welcome to the show, Evelyn and Miriam. Thank you, Kayla. Excited to be here. We're so excited. Welcome back to the Startup Women podcast, Evelyn. It's great to revisit all of your incredible business success and, and get some updates on your end. So we're, we're so excited to have today's topic with both of you here. I'm going to kick off with some basic background and, and some context questions because, uh, Miriam, you clearly have a very extensive background and experience, um, and I want to hear more about your journey supporting entrepreneurs in Canada and at Export Development Canada, EDC. Where did this all start for you and what supports are you leading and are focused on right now in 2023? Thank you, Kayla, for this question. So I'm going to start with giving you a little bit of background history on how I discovered a little bit IDNE. So I kind of accidentally fell into IDNE space when working as an international delegate for France and by extension Europe based in the Caribbean. Then I noticed that all the great potential of most of the businesses I was assisting owned and led by people of color was to some degree not held to the same standard as their white counterparts. So, you know, we would talk about innovative products or methods like wind turbines or clothing lines using bamboo fiber, recycled design furniture, and you name it. And, you know, all of these amazing products were being overlooked by all the big players. I've always had at heart to see fairness and equity applied in my everyday life and seeing the growth potential of all these companies being brushed aside because the decision makers or investors did not look like them or were convinced by their potential really had me thinking that there was still tremendous change to, that still needed to happen. So today in 2023, I got to say, we're still fighting the same battles but with more acute awareness and visibility of what, why, and how, and most importantly, what we need to address these issues. So really at EDC, we have embarked on this journey to support equity-deserving groups some time ago in 2018, starting first with women, indigenous, and now in 2021 for, with black and racialized exporters. My role is mainly to be the guide of all exporters that do not trust, because, you know, there's really a question of trust, that do not trust they could be helped in their journey due to their ethnic or cultural background. So as the Canadian Export Agency, EDC plays an essential role in the exporter's growth trajectory through its broad expertise in international markets and risk mitigation solutions. Amazing. Thank you, Miriam. And, and it's been amazing to see, you know, through our partnership with EDC, um, all of these, you know, additional subject matter experts and leaders on the team that you've brought into our programming and in our partnership. So we are really thankful for all the work that you're championing um, at EDC and all the work that your colleagues are, are developing each and every day. So thanks for everything you do. Um, Evelyn, over to you. You know, I'm very familiar with the story of Ellie Bianca and, and having seen you grow and grow and grow over the last couple of years since our last conversation. Um, for our listeners, who might not be familiar. Let's go back to those early days when it started. I love your bio and how you position this inception story of the organization. Um, so bring us to the beginning and then where things are at now, because you've seen some pretty tremendous growth over the last couple of years. 
Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, for a minute, you know, reading that bio, I I went back um, to to chat. You know, spending the time there and 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 really looking through my own personal experience as a as a, a professional, as a woman, as a mother, as a black woman in business, and and. As Miriam was talking, I actually remember being in France for a meeting and being asked by one of the executives if I had the authority to sign the contract, and yet it was my company. So I, I could relate, and, and I can also see how that trust has been uh, compromised over the years and why, um, as as the black woman or as minorities, how we tend to kind of have that wall and not trust as much as we should. But despite all those challenges, I made a commitment. I made a commitment that for my daughter's sake and, and the other daughters, that I will ignite conversation uh, using Ili Bianca. I will uh, you know, try and strive to overcome some of these barriers so that it can be a little bit easier for my daughter and other daughters like her. So it's been it's been a journey. It's been a beautiful journey uh, all along. Sometimes you want to give up, but you get encouraged a little bit and you keep going. Uh, we've uh, we've grown significantly. I think our products now are sold in over a thousand stores across Canada. Um, we have, uh, we this year we launched with Costco online, which um, has been really tremendous. Um, we're working a little bit with our partners overseas to also expand that market share. Um, yeah, like it's it continues to grow at the right pace. And you know, oftentimes I remind myself that, you know, if I never make money doing this business, I know for a fact that, you know, we could have really overcome um, some barriers and made it slightly better um, for other Black women. Amazing, Evelyn. And looking at today's episode and really focusing on global businesses, was going global something that you were thinking? You know, obviously you were in a global context. You were in Chad when when this uh, sort of um, idea came to light and and when this biz- this business really came to fruition. Um, was building a global business beyond just Chad and potentially Canada on your radar? Or was this something that, um, you know, you realized was going to be a part of your path later on? Walk us through your exporting journey. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all about strategy. I'm actually doing my PhD right now in strategy and innovation. So I'm all about strategy. I'm all about starting with the, I grew up with parents. My father always said to me, start with the end in mind, you know? So I, I grew with that mindset. I started Ellie Bianca with, I mean, you've had me talk um, in the past that I want to build a billion dollar business. So we know very well that a billion dollar brand will not be built in Canada alone. So I knew that I wanted to position uh, Ellie Bianca as a Canadian brand, of course, with our safety records, with our quality records, with just really the good Canadian name. However, I know that um, Canada alone will not get us to where we need. So we need to be able to um, work into the global market. And the opportunities are there. It's uh, it's exciting to and igniting to see uh, the opportunities that exist in, in other markets uh, and the readiness in those markets. I was just in Kenya in June, July, and uh, meeting with uh, our partners there, meeting with the, um, the Trade Commission office there, and just seeing how you know, people might have the mindset that, you know, Africa, it's Africa, but how these markets are also ready. They're aware they want clean products uh, similar to what we want here. So I'm excited to actually, you know, Canada has been okay, but I'm excited about um, the next steps of our brand and taking this brand global. Amazing. And which countries are at the top of that list when you think of going global for you? So right now, um, we have some penetration in the U.S., um, so we want to expand there. I mean, naturally, it's, it's closer, the proximity. So the next, 
year or so, we are putting efforts in the U.S. and strengthening those relationships. Um, we have a little bit of um, work in Europe where we're building some partnership uh, in strategic countries in Europe. But I, I will have to say I'm excited about Africa. I'm really excited about Africa. Amazing. And yeah. so Miriam, obviously you're working with founders every single day who are aspiring, you know, exporters, those that are really wanting to build these global companies. What does it actually look like and mean to be a global company in this day and age? Because we have so many conversations even, you know, around product-based businesses versus service-based industries. And both of those are exporters, even if you might not identify um, as an exporter. Or, you know, oh, I just do business in the States. We hear that all the time. And, and people don't necessarily think of that being, uh, you know, exporter language. So what does it really mean to be a global company? And what really has to happen within a business to be considered a global entity? Does this look different for each business in each industry? Are there variances? Walk us through what that looks like. So that's definitely a good question because oftentimes exporters don't even know. They're not aware that they're exporters. So really, you know, I'll start and, and I think I really enjoy listening to Evelyn and, and hearing what she's been through and her really strategic approach. And I think that when going global, you have to take a strategic approach pathway instead of um, you know, going in the blind a little bit, you know, like we're gonna test the waters as we go, you know, it's like land at, at uh, you know, land outside of something, but it's, it's important to know where you're stepping into. So really, you know, if I had to kind of package it in a way for you to understand being a global company is really to have, um, a foreign payment. So to receive payment from a foreign country. And sometimes, you know, uh, businesses that are selling, for instance, online products or services, they're not really aware that their services are being um, purchased by foreign clients. So, you know, they're like, no, I, you know, I'm on a platform, I'm on Amazon or Shopify on Google or whatnot, and I, I just sell it there. But without knowing you are being an exporter, you may not be the global company with that global mindset, but you are an exporter. So, you know, that's, um, that's important to understand that there's no real difference between a product or service-based company uh, as long as you export or you have foreign customers. People, I know it might be a little bit more blurry on the service side because, you know, you're selling your services. So, you know, how do you uh, factor that in um, when you're selling, for instance, I don't know, um, your um, uh, thought leadership to, you know, another country or uh, maybe a design that you sent online and someone from Asia or even Africa bought it. So uh, it's important that you actually track where your receivables, your account receivables are coming from. And then you decide how you want to maybe build or design a strategy that will help you gain more of those type of customers if that works for you to expand in those markets or, you know, expand your global footprint a little bit like what Evelyn is doing beautifully. So there are also another point that's very important is to consider the two types of uh, exporters. There's the direct exporters and the indirect exporters. So the direct exporters, pretty straightforward and simple. They're selling a product or service directly to someone, a customer or a business that is buying from them and that is located in a foreign market. The indirect customer or the indirect exporter um, is the one that is producing manufactured goods or um, services that are integrated into global value chain or supply chains of direct exporters. So that might be a little bit more confusing, but sometimes you don't even think that you're part of this ecosystem, but you're already part of this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, and we are at EDC supporting all those type of customers. So this is why when you think about what is the global uh, company or what is an exporter, what it is trade, 
then you need to get access to that knowledge and information for you to make informed decisions about who you can um, you can go to that can provide resources and support to help you in your growth journey. And when you're looking at that exporter community, Miriam, are you seeing most people look to the states first? Um, to, to Evelyn's point, that you know naturally you have proximity, you have similar cultural alignment, language, etc. Um, I know within our startup global program, about seventy five percent of those founders they're going to the U.S. first. What are you seeing uh, around the, the Canadian community? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really the opportunity, right? Uh, it's easier, the proximity, as Evelyn said, um, the U.S. is closer. Uh, we understand how it works. We understand the dynamics. We understand, right, most of it. So it's easier for Canadian companies to go to the U.S. first. But we've seen some um, shifts uh, within, you know, the past years with the free trade agreements that Canada has with the world. Do you know that Canada has 15 trade agreements with 31 countries in the world, which is the most <laughs> that one country ever had. So uh, a lot of those exporters are looking at beyond the U.S., where those opportunities are, where they could actually grow faster and bigger and better with, you know, the audiences that are ready to buy from Canada, right? The Canadian brand is powerful. So I think that a lot of Canadian companies need to really look at what the landscape of global business is. And where uh, it might be, it might make more sense for them to go. Like, you know, there are smaller markets, like, you know, even the Caribbean, right, that they could go to because the U.S. is huge. If you don't know how to navigate this market, you get burned pretty easily. So uh, there are a lot of homework, a lot of uh, information, a lot of uh, uh, tactics that need to be happen, need to be thought through before even going to the U.S. Um, this is great that, you know, a lot of those businesses are using, leveraging the Trade Commissioner Service, but for sure, not all of them are well suited or well, you know, equipped to approach the U.S. market. It's, it's a process and it's a, it's a tremendous undertaking. Like I think, uh, you know, obviously we want to convey the, the step-by-step approach to exporting as simply and as encouragingly as possible to our community. But there are many considerations to factor in, um, including are you at the right stage of your business to make this large investment? not just in your money, but also in your time, the energy required to do that thorough research to your point, Miriam, um, and leverage all these available tools. Um, Evelyn, was that something that you were sort of looking at in your growth continuum? You know, you're in stores like Costco, you mentioned, you did this incredible Hudson's Bay um, company partnership, and now you're on those shelves um, being celebrated. What did it feel like, you know, before hitting those milestones? Was Were those sort of feathers in your cap that really gave you the confidence to then start expanding globally? Or was that a different process that you went down to really assess size of your company, expansion plans, and what that development could look like? Yeah, so, you know, it's always been very strategic. You know, I'm all about data. I'm all about research. I'm all about really understanding my market. So right in 2016, actually, I was... Um, actively going to trade shows in the U.S., for example, to really understand um, the consumer behaviors and preferences. And, you know, Miriam, to what you said, American, it can, they can be complex. There's lots of complexities when it comes to um, even, you know, Black purchasing from Black, purchase, like, you know, it's it's a complex system altogether uh, that I observed. And it's very similar, whether it be in LA, New York. Um, I went to various places just to really uh, have a feel for what the market is. And we and kind of let it be. Not, but naturally through our website, um, we were building, there were those customers that will resonate with our brand. And, and you know, they, we continue to I'll say about 20% of our online customers come from the U.S. So we continue to, to grow that, and we have a few um, retail partners that we've partnered with. But on the other hand, I will be going to Kenya, for example, to visit my family. And, you know, followers who follow me on Instagram or Facebook naturally will be like, when is Eli Bianca coming to Kenya? Like they're ready to purchase. They're not looking and saying this serum is $200. They're like, that $200 serum is what we want. And there's a lot of middle class uh, people in, in Africa that have that disposable income that really want quality product and they don't have a problem um, doing it. So, 
you know, I would say it, it's, it's been a, I did a detailed market research for Kenya, in, um, for example, and I feel confident that um, it's a place we want to be. I've observed trends, you know, seeing the amount of organic stores that are growing there. Um, and of course, through the partnership there with the Trade Commission office, them giving us intelligence of this is what, what's happening. You know, this market is ready for your product. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, we've also been going to Europe. We've been going to the trade shows there just to really understand um, where, you know, how receptive is this market to, to our products? Yeah. So there's a plan. And then there's, you know, also the naturalness. That yeah, following the it. flow of, yeah, where the energy is going, where that interest is, is naturally. So yeah, it's a bit instinct, but I love, you know, challenging assumptions and using that real-time data. Like often, you know, I think entrepreneurs, it's very easy to paint a picture in your head and validate your own assumptions using, you know, your your intuition, which we need to follow, but um, using that hard data at different stages of your business, right? Revisiting that constantly is such an essential ingredient to, to being a successful entrepreneur and having the courage to do so. The the other piece for me it's 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 also understanding that regulatory mm. environment just to really know and say okay where where is it going to be easier for me to do the business uh, that has been one of those decision making um, aspects that we have to to factor in because for example we looked into China uh, quite a bit and invested a lot of time like I did a full on one year research uh, and at the end we just made a decision that you know, the complexities of the different language and, you know, it just wasn't, even though it's a huge market, um, there were no alignment. So we put it, we didn't say no, but we kind of put it in the parking lot for now. And when you were going down that process, what resources did you leverage? Were you doing all of this research independently? Did you talk to the trade commissioner service? Did you talk to other, you know, experts in the field? Who did you go to to answer some of those questions? Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely no way you can do this um, by yourself. So and be able to make informed decisions. So we actually started off with um, we have the TAP program here, the Trade Accelerator program uh, here in Calgary through the Calgary Economic Development. So we started there, and through that, uh, we connected, of course, with the Trade Commission office. And then the Trade Commission office ha- did an accelerator program for China specifically, where they brought um, those KOL, the knowledge people, the influencers, and um, we sent our products to them. Uh, Who else did we work with? And of course, EDC was uh, part of this group. Uh, Our bank has a lot of data. So um, yeah. And and then of course, people, you know, other, other entrepreneurs who've managed to work um, in China. Mm, and lots well. of other peers and getting that expertise. Amazing. So in terms of challenges and obstacles going global, we can appreciate there's a lot of complexity here. There are a lot of countries out there. Some have free trade agreements, some have different regulatory environments, you know, so many different variables to consider, geography, culture, language. Um, and it is a, a complex undertaking to really look at it all in its fulsome, you know, entirety. So approaching it sort of step by step is definitely a way um, that many exporters have begun this journey. Um, but one thing that Export Development Canada has been doing is, you know, gathering data, gathering insights and the lived perspectives, especially for Black businesses that we're, we're covering in today's episode. Um, and in EDC's 2022 report on trade barriers for Black businesses in Canada, many of the participants described Canada's exporting ecosystem as, quote, kind of an old boys club. Uh, and I've heard this, you know, within the finance community, within other spaces outside of the exporting community alone. Um, but even Lynn, I'd, I'd love your perspective. Does this resonate with you? Has this been an experience that you've faced or, you know, challenges that you've had to go through as a founder navigating what is sort of, quote, an old boys club? Oh, you know, China, for example, and, you know, it, it goes to that trust factor. It goes to that fear factor. You know, the acceptance uh, I didn't, I didn't feel, and honestly, this is where I had to go with my gut. I didn't feel that there was acceptance. You know, I, there was excitement when my products were sent, but there was no excitement. I didn't feel the same excitement when I came on video, um, back and forth. So, and with that, it just kind of, 
I'm, I'm honest, just being super honest, that shrunk. And when I also looked in, in, you know, who else was there, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. So could we have done well? Yeah. Did we have amazing projections? Yes. Do we have amazing products? Absolutely. But I, th that fear factor of, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel that I belong. It kind of got me to hold back. And, and that I think is, um, you know, a, a common challenge that we've heard so often and this tension in, okay, is this my moment to break a barrier? Is this my moment to, you know, charge forward or am I, um, you know, going to invest elsewhere and that being a deeply personal decision that, you know, based on the stage that your business is in and, and various comfort levels, et cetera. Um, uh, but it, it's a challenging position to be into being uncomfortable for also incredibly valid reasons. Um, Miriam, have you heard these types of founder stories? What's your take on, um, you know, the, the supportive spaces that black founders have either been in or not been in, um, in your experience with the community? Yeah. So, um, to what, uh, Evelyn just described, um, there's still a lack of representation within those circles, you know, whether it's export circles, whether we're talking about financials, um, circles, or even just the business, you know, uh, circles where the big players are, where, you know, um, they're, no representations at the decision-making tables, because this is really what it comes down to. Um, there is still um, frustration uh, within uh, the Black and, and also racialized um, business uh, communities, and, and the, the demand to have that seat, not to be allowed to be at the table, but just, you know, um, to be heard for the value and the contribution that they're bringing to uh, Canada as a country, but also, you know, to these um, ecosystems that are being built around them as well, right? Because um, what we need to understand is that most of these businesses are not looking just at making profits. They're looking at, um, you know, um, empowering the communities, empowering the people, empowering women, empowering um, children, youth. It's there. It's really tr it trickles down to many, many, many different layers of um, social and economic building. So, yes, you know, it's it's still when we look at um, when we look at uh, the picture of today. It's still, you know, it's. I'm not gonna say it's. It might be sometimes saddening, but it's really no surprise that it's still happening. But there's a lot of progress, I got to say, that has been done, um, you know, to level the playing field, to really allow uh, them to be in these spaces and to tell their stories. Like Evelyn, you know, I understand what she went through when, you know, trying to uh, build that relationship with China. And I understand that a lot of businesses that are exporting, they need to sometimes put their mask on, you know, to go out there and do business and just be focused on what you're trying to achieve. But it, it is still hard, you know, we're humans, there are people, um, they have emotions and feelings, but I think there's, we need, um, as you know, the trade ecosystem community to continue to open doors to um, all to, to the black and the racialized business communities to help them seize all the opportunities that exist out there to really help empower them and equip them to kind of take that leap forward to achieve their global success. Because at the end of the day, and I always say that wherever I, I go, I tell everyone that. Those communities are, for me, the most innovative and creative mm -hmm. communities because they need to think out of the box. They need to go far and beyond of what exists in the market to be seen and to be valued even more. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, do IDDC capacity building um, with our, our knowledge solutions, but also with our partners to 
you know, show them the real picture of what the world is and how they can, you know, have an impact and make an impact on that world. That's amazing. Mary. That was really beautifully said. And with within EDC's context, I think even doing reports like this, actually identifying the concrete barriers for Black businesses specifically and looking at other racialized communities, that's a huge step forward in it. even getting that information and getting that data that we can then all as a collective come together and say, okay, here are you know these top five barriers that we can work as a collective to solve. Um, so I think that element is really incredible to see that movement over the last couple of years. Um, at EDC, are there any other programs or specific um, initiatives that EDC has really been putting a lot of effort into um, that you want to share with our audience that they might not be aware of? Oh, absolutely. So we're doing lots of things, uh, but we're trying to focus as well because, <laughs> you know, there's so much to do and, you know, we have a thousand items on our to-do list, but, you know, we're taking one by one. So I'm just happy to say that beside our products and solutions, and I'm going to talk to it, you know, a little bit later in our conversation, but, you know, right now, for instance, we've just launched our first a cohort of Black women in non-binary with Coalition and the Face Coalition. Um, and, you know, this cohort of 15 women. We really receive knowledge, connections, information on markets, uh, data, and also access to, you know, growth capital to see where we can take them forward, you know, where we can help them better. And also, you know, we're working on another pilot that is very promising and I'm not going to talk to it too much, but uh, it's on scale-ups because I think that there, there are still, as we mentioned during our conversation, there's still so many barriers and different, you know, um, you know, we're talking about glass ceiling, but I think there are multiple glass ceilings, you know, as you move forward in your journey, right? So we want to break all of them, you know, one by one as we grow. Um, so uh, yes, at EDC, we're focused on really providing the really specific support that, um, you know, inclusive trade companies uh, need to uh, advance in their journey. And, and obviously, you know, there, I always say that um, the knowledge, knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is key to the success of anyone, any business person, anyone, even though sometimes we say, oh, but that person uh, was a college dropout or whatever. Yeah, but it got surrounded by bright minds and he had also a different type of knowledge that it apply into the business. So really knowledge, the power. And I think by providing all the exporters access to knowledge, whether it's through my edc.ca or through our export knowledge hub or through our partners, you know, the ecosystem partners, the grassroots organizations that we're working with. And I'm going to mention all of them, but, you know, we're working with um, CBCC at the Canadian Black Business Chamber of Commerce, Group 3737, obviously Trade Commissioner Service, Trade Accelerator Program. We're working with with, um, you know, a thousand more partners where you can have access to that knowledge. What 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 do you need in order to be able to access this opportunity or in in order to be able to, um, you know, grow your company from X, Y, Z to that level or that point or, you know, access more uh, manpower or access more IP, intellectual property. You know, there, there is a lot of, there are a lot of steps and a lot of uh, research and a lot of data to be um, acquired, but I think it exists right now today because we live in a, uh, a day of information um, where information is there and, you know, we're making sure that the information is channeled through the right platform to be uh, readily available to exporters. Because, yeah, part of the challenge, I think, is is there is so much information, right? And, and how do you sift through what is going to be relevant to you, at what stage, uh, you know, which potential member of your team taking on various roles, et cetera, if it's communications versus sales versus leadership, et cetera. So it's, yeah, it's definitely um, the, the information consuming process can be very intensive. So that's definitely one of the challenges uh, that many have. And, and, and a barrier, barrier really, okay. because if, if you are put into so much, you don't have, I mean, I remember struggling to go to the trade accelerator. It's the best thing that I ever did. But I was like, I actually don't have time to do this because, you know, how am I going to dedicate two weeks of my time to go through the process, right? Um, so I think information overload and managing that so that 
um, when one is starting, first of all, knowing where to get it and knowing what is relevant at whatever stage will be, it's, it's helpful. But, you know, another, another thing to add on is, is how do we precision, how do we precision these brands, these companies? Um, because one of my challenges, I, I go beyond it, whether it be locally or internationally is always like, just, oh, do you, do you, are these products made in Africa? You know, there's always that, that I need to explain explain myself even when you know it's introduced as this a canadian brand it's often that you know just just by association of my african heritage which i refuse um not to cover it not to mask it i'm super proud of of that heritage but when you show up um as a black girl i can you know it's it's often like oh do you do you are these you make these products in Africa? You know, the product is acceptable on its own without me. But the minute I show on, that bias comes on. So what are some of those strategy, positioning strategies that we're going to, to put out when we support um, these racialized and, 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 and Black brands? And there's a lot of... Mary, go ahead. Sorry, if I may react yeah. to what Evelyn just said. So we hear that often often that, um, you know, first of all, there are two things. So the first one is people are saying, but you, you are catering to the black communities, for instance, you know, like it's only your products or your services are only good for the black or the racialized communities. No. Second is, yeah, are these products made in, you know, Africa or, you know, the Caribbean, wherever, right? And no, <laughs> it's Canadian. So I think that, the, the more we're going to talk about these things, the more we're going to talk about um, the um, not only the, the origin, the more we're going to have a clear messaging about the, the branding, about the origin and the talent and the innovation behind those brands that are going out there like uh, Ellie Bianca, the more um, customers will be um, familiar with the fact that black businesses have great businesses that provide great products and great services. So it needs to be, again, you know, it's like we're always talking about black excellence. I I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear black excellence because it's not because it's great when it's black that it's black excellence. No, we're just great because we're great, <laughs> you know, because it's just good as it is, right? We don't need to um, explain. But up to today, we still need to, like Evelyn just mentioned, they still need to um, emphasize, uh, you know, kind of pitch almost where, you know, where and why she's making her products in Canada, <laughs> you know, beside being, you know, from Africa. Um, so I think we want to kind of, we want to shift the narrative. We want to change the conversation. Is it a great product that is um, going to help you uh, rejuvenate your skin or revitalize whatever your genes or I don't know, uh, or is it a product that is not really, um, you know, that is not good for me just because, you know, it's not good for me. Um, but we need a shift around, you know, the, 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 the background of the founder, we're talking about businesses. We're talking about products and services. We're not talking about where the founder is from unless he wants to tell his story or her story. If Evelyn is comfortable telling his story, then fine, because it ties in with what she's trying to do. She's trying to empower women, and she's trying to create a different kind of generational wealth as well. So... Um, I think the more, but again, it needs to become the standard. And instead of, in, instead of, you know, just the, that little peck in the corner that we didn't notice was here. So um, this is also what we're trying to do with the inclusive trade team. We're trying to really, uh, you know, set, put forward all those businesses that are amazing and that, that are doing um, incredible work, even to change the world, <laughs> if I could say this, right? So um, it, it's, it's much more than just a business. 
it's really something that is close to their heart, that is close to um, that is close to their mind to really change what we're leaving as a legacy to their future generations. Mm. Beautifully said, Miriam. And I think two things to add on that, if I can. One, these are scalable businesses. I think we also, you know, paint this picture and this story, one, particularly with women entrepreneurs, that they're often these sort of side hustles or small lifestyle businesses or things that are inherently micro um, at the detriment of the true scalability of many of these products and services. So let's get away from that, in addition to looking at the intersectionality of Black women or, you know, racialized women. Um, And then second, the power of partnership here, that coming into a room with a partner like Export Development Canada or a financial institution or a TAP uh, program manager, all of these um, folks within the ecosystem have a tremendous amount of power and influence. And to the extent that we can help support founders through those existing open doors, through those networks that already exist, um, and through those concrete champions that understand the potential of that business, I see so much potential growth and support in a really impactful and meaningful way um, that is funded, you know, often through our federal government or funded through, you know, these entities that are intended to serve us. Um, So I think seeing EDC really show up for founders in this space, in addition to many of our partners, um, has been a really helpful um, position to to, uh, be in and something that we can also scale moving forward to really see, okay, how do we add almost a buddy system to make sure that every entrepreneur feels confident going into the room to ask for investment um, or to enter into a new country and develop new relationships there. We can leverage a lot of partnership there. Miriam, I'd like to come back with you um, and talk a little bit more about EDC's concrete programs and really showcase the numerous offerings that you have, not just within your team, but beyond. So would love to give you the floor uh, to chat a little bit more about EDC's current offerings. Thank you, Kayla. So I'm going to start with saying that what we're offering Black exporters is no different than what we're offering to their white counterparts. Because we need to understand that when you take on export or international markets, you take on the same type of risks. But we definitely acknowledge that, you know, they face unique challenges and discriminations. So it's important that we we tailor our accessibility and flexibility for these exporters and these communities to access our products and solutions. So and, and what's also it's important for us is to prepare them and guide them through the entire process. So then these businesses are you know, more ready and more eligible to be supported by us. So um, we have different type of products. I mentioned a little bit earlier, the Knowledge Solutions, the Expert Help Hub, the MyEDC.ca. We also have the Business uh, Connection uh, Program, which is a tailored connection for diverse uh, suppliers to meet with international global um, category managers or procurement team that are interested in procuring from from Canada. Um, So we have these these, uh, these programs uh, very specifically, but for the products, and I know everything comes down to capital, <laughs> right? To money. Mm-hmm. It's always a pain point. And obviously our products, you know, are helping exporters take on the world while we take on the risk. So one of our flagship product is the credit insurance. So the credit insurance, I find it, it's a very overlooked product. And the reason why is because a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't need insurance. I'm selling abroad. I know my customer. Now, you know, even if it's just for a one shot, I don't need an insurance. But what that insurance will help you do is will it will cover 90 percent of the contract cost against customer non-payment. So for whatever reason, a customer uh, winds up not being able to pay you. For whatever reason, it could be personal reason, it could be a bankruptcy, it could be political or economic um, uh, difficulties, it could be anything. Then we would cover ninety percent of that contract cost. So that gives you not only to your bank comfort in lending you more money or additional lines of credits because they know that ninety percent of that money will get back to them. And, and also that give the um, that gives you as an exporter uh, the eligibility to tell your customers uh, to negotiate payment terms in a different way, right? In a more flexible way. 
Um, so this really credit insurance, I think, especially when you start in your export journey, it's important that you look at what the credit insurance allows you to do, and especially also when you're exploring new markets. Even though you're an exporter that is, you know, like a seasoned exporter in the in the U.S., but you're now venturing into Japan or Africa or Europe, then probably the credit insurance will be a great tool for you. Another product is also the Export Guarantee Program, which is a great bonding program solution acting as a guarantee to your bank for a loan or line of credit without tying up cash. Because, you know, typically they're looking for collateral. They're looking for secured, um, um, secured loans. So these guarantees really help your bank uh, give you um, that working capital that you're looking for without taking the risks entirely on their own. So that's really, you know, great flexibility for them here. Um, and I'll say that we also offer, and without getting into too much details, because, you know, again, it's very important that exporters come to us and talk about what they're trying to achieve, how they look at, um, you know, canvassing new markets, how they look at, you know, global expansion, and also tell us what is maybe keeping them from, you know, progressing forward better or what's... Um, the, the issues that they've, you know, they faced uh, more regularly in the past. So it's important that we really um, look together at the entire uh, map, right? Roadmap for them to guide them through the right solutions and also the right partners to get the right um, um, support that they need and resources they need. So the other solutions very quickly are um, solutions that will protect your business against the, again, against the changing dollar, for instance, you know, which is a program called FXG, uh, or posting letter credits without holding collateral, securing working capital for foreign activities with foreign banks, because that, again, they don't like to do that with because, you know, when the Canadian company is going abroad and dealing with a foreign bank, then the bank needs to have insurance about, you know, for whatever they're trying to uh, give the, the Canadian company, even if it's a, a subsidy. Uh, so we are able to work through that with uh, the exporter. And I'll say that last but not least, because a lot of uh, exporters have come to us since they've heard about it. Um, but we also know that within the venture capital investment space, you know, black businesses are receiving uh, the lowest range of like, uh, not even 1%, you know, <laughs> in Canada. So that's really, um, that's really, you know, a, a hard place for them to be when they need to have access to cap growth capital without even going to a bank and asking for a loan, because they really need to have investors trusting in them and helping them grow um, and sometimes we see really hockey stick growth. So it's important that we find the right, the right investors. So really to help reverse this trend, the Inclusive Trade Investment Program is a matching program offering venture capital uh, solutions to companies owned and led by a founder who identifies as a member of a diverse group. So that is whether a Black or racialized, but also women, Indigenous, um, people living with disabilities, LGBTQS+, uh, and all the diverse founders that we can find. Um, and the company must generate at least uh, $500,000 in revenue and especially present a significant export growth potential. And typically, it can be demonstrated through, you know, different, um, you know, data, uh, letter of intent or contracts or even market uh, approach um, um, proof or evidence that, you know, these markets have really strong traction for um, this Canadian company. So for black companies, EDC has partnered with BKR Capital uh, to lead the charge on investing in scaling black owned businesses. And I can just say that is it's going pretty well. So um, we're on our way to keep on trying to change the way, um, you know, the system's well built, right, to really help the businesses um, that belong to these communities in um, better, more strategic, more guided, more empathic way as well. Mm. 
Amazing. And Miriam, can you clarify for for, uh, entrepreneurs potentially at their earlier stage, at what stage can they access all these EDC supports? Um, Is there sort of an entrepreneur journey map that they might be able to align some of these programs to? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so there are two types of exporters. I'm sorry, I'm always saying, you know, there are different types, but it's true, right? So there are exporter-born type of companies, right? So the companies that are exporting when, you know, just being set up, they export. It's just because it's already in within the DNA of the company and the strategy is based on exporting. So these companies... From the get-go, even though they're, you know, they're not even uh, making a dollar yet, they didn't come to us because we can help them before, you know, plan ahead before they get their first contract. The thing is, typically what I see is these businesses, they come to us when they're facing some issues or problems or different, you know, difficulties with their foreign customers. It's too late. We need to take, you know, we need to anticipate the risk and I'll work with them to really understand what their markets are and how they want to approach these markets. And then obviously there's the typical traditional exporter when, you know, they're expanding to the Canadian market. And at some point they think, hey, you know why? I might want to go to the U.S. or I might want to go to India or to, you know, whatever other country that I've heard about uh, through, you know, ADC or the TCS, you know, the Trade Commission Service. So then these companies need to have really, well, all of them, even though we have these two times, all of these companies need to have a solid export plan, or at least they need to have real projections into these foreign markets. You don't go to a foreign market like you just decide to go to uh, Alberta or Ontario or Quebec, <laughs> even though some, sometimes it's also difficult. So <laughs> they really need to be intentional and have that, you know, when I, I was talking about homework, they need to have all, they need to do their research. They need to have all their data. They need to have their, sometimes if they don't have connections, they can get, um, you know, they can be connected with uh, folks with, um, for instance, you know, the Trade Commission Service and other ecosystem partners like, you know, Evelyn did when she participated in trade missions to understand better what her audience was, right? So you need to have um, that real intention to tap into this international market and, collect all the information that you will need for us also to assess the validity of your project. Because sometimes, you know, it it just, it it's not the right time for you, but it might be the right time later. So what we're trying also to do is also to be very transparent with exporters telling them, you know, this is the roadmap. This is where you are. These are your pain points. And right now you might not be ready to export just because, you know, there's X, Y, Z in your business that you need to either fix or change or adjust uh, before taking on these um, new markets. So there are a lot of different steps that need to be taken even before you decide that you're going to be exported. And even the exporter-born companies, they do this, you know, even though we're, we're thinking, oh, it's a little bit too... It's it's a rush. It's preliminary, but sometimes they they have done that work, even built in their business model, right? So it's already um, embedded within it. So it's it's uh, easier for us to uh, to know. So again, you know, the sooner you connect with EDC when you have such business intentions, the better. Because even when we're not ready to apply our solutions to your business right away, we can get you support through our partner ecosystem and we can follow you along your journey. And when you're ready, we're ready uh, along alongside you. And you already have that relationship built. I think so many founders, yeah, they, they wait for the crisis moment, either with a bank or a financial institution, you know, with all of these various partners. And it is so much harder to jump in at that juncture versus saying, we have a longstanding relationship. I know your business. I know what you've been struggling with in the past or, you know, where I've seen that growth. 
um, it's, you know, relationship 101, right? Like it's, it's always better to have that texture and that experience to help support you when, you know, hopefully you're not hitting dire moments, but life happens, things happen, global pandemics happen, et cetera. Uh, better to have those relationships in your back pocket. Absolutely. Absolutely. Evelyn, I want to pass it to you just to some of our, you know, entrepreneurs listening to our episodes. So obviously we've got lots of incredible women founders listening to these episodes and many of them are thinking about glowing global. They're potentially really in the infancy of building their business, Um, but they might not be quite ready yet. So they're listening to this episode to really get a sense of if this is something they want to pursue. What is one thing that you would recommend that they consider or do to get closer to that exporting goal? What would be your piece of advice? Ooh, I have more than one. You can take more than one. We'll give you more than one. <laughs> you know, you have to know your market. And maybe the before I even get to that, maybe the one is overcoming the fear. Because oftentimes when you think about, you know, building an international company, expanding beyond what you're comfortable with, there's that fear that comes in. So it's actually easier once you have that data once you know it's so much easier to approach the market so take the time know the market and the best way to know is just really to surround yourself with these partners i've been i've been hanging out edc from 2014 and uh, 2014 we had just had two products you know you just kind of be hanging let them know you're there they also keep sending you information and when is the right time it's easier and as i said when i like for example every country that i go to whether i'm there on vacation i go to the trade commissioner's office let's go and stop there and say hello i love that but what is interesting is every time you go they throw some nuggets. This is what's happening here. This is this is how the landscape is. These are the new players. Whoever we thought last time was now this is the new player. Uh, this is where like the U.S. The U.S. is, for example, Africa. They're very aggressive. Yeah, they they've brought in um, dumping so much funding here. You know, so you get to really understand the the landscape by surrounding yourself um, with all of these associations that are there to actually help us navigate. So knowledge is power, like Miriam said, you know, learn as much as possible. Take the time to know your customer. It's like a marriage or a relationship. The more you know your market, the easier it's going to be to do business. So I've I've never rushed. They need to keep seeing you. They need to be keep seeing you until they feel comfortable and you feel comfortable to get into a relationship. And definitely leveraging the tools that are there to make sure that you can manage risk. Risk management is a big, big, big issue. Like I, and it doesn't matter if it's a customer you've worked with, you know, for years. I have a customer that I've worked with for years in um, in the Middle East, and for whatever reason. You know, I did a project for them and they were slowing, like they were not paying me. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Managing, putting those risk measures in place gives you peace of mind. Great yeah. advice, Evelyn. Miriam, what would be your one piece of advice? You know what? She took it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, be bold, be intentional about what you want to achieve. Um, Yes, absolutely. You need to do your research. You need to know your markets. You need to know your audience. You need to be out there for sure. You need to be seen. But that said, it's all about being intentional. It's either you're, you're, if you're not sure about what you're doing, it's okay to put it on hold for now. You don't need to rush. Exactly. Take your time, go at your own pace but if you are sure you want to be exporting, then go out there and just tell it to everyone you meet because there are so many resources out there that will be helpful to you and your business when you'll be ready, when you want it, that, you know, the success is just going to be um, a stone throw away. <laughs> 
I love that. Okay, so then double click on this question, actually. Another a final resource. If you could share one golden resource, either you know, a, a template, a an advisor, a specific program that you think, you know, not playing favorites. I know this is probably harder for you, Miriam, at EEC, but one final resource you'd also recommend that our entrepreneurs check out. Um, for us, I mean, honestly, the uh, Export Help Hub is a, a wealth of knowledge and information for exporters, whether they're ready to export or they're just um, exploring this idea, they're kind of brainstorming how they could do it or, or not. Uh, the Export Help Hub um, is definitely one piece that I would um, strongly encourage or advise anyone to go to. Um, and, and, and maybe one piece that I can add is, you know, we're actually delivering a lot of workshops through the forum for international trade training with our ecosystem partners. So if you are, you want to know, want to learn more about, um, what it takes to be exporting, right? Because you read a lot of things, but you need to have access to an expert, a specialist that can, uh, you know, answer your questions, right? So connect with your um, close grassroots organization, ask them if they are in touch with EDC or even with the Trade Commissioner Service, and then we'll be happy to um, organize, you know, or even, you know, we have an agenda of workshops with these organizations for um, what we call the exporter one-on-one, which is really an overview of what, you know, of all the steps that you need to take um, in order to um, go into a foreign market and also really look at your business internally. Right. Because we're always looking, you know, outward, but you need to look inward as well. Are you ready? Right. Export readiness, what it takes to be, you know, ready, all the tools and, you know, different organizations. And there, there are tons of links and people and organizations that you can connect with. So, you know, those two Export Help Hub and uh, connect with your local organization, business oriented for uh, exporting one on one with Fit Session with EDC. You'll love it. Fantastic, Miriam. Evelyn, what about you? What would be your one resource? Um, actually, the the one resource that I will recommend, I, I said, you know, Miriam has touched on everything, um, is yeah, I will recommend you know leveraging the grants that are available to help you um, explore the market. So you don't need to go all in because we know that money stops us from doing this. But take advantage of you know, in the provincial here, I know that in Alberta, for sure, we, we do have a grant to support. I mean, I think it funds up to 50000 50000 You can You can do a lot with that. And then there's the federal one as well. So, yeah, take advantage of those grants so that you can really test your, your market. And really, and, and the advice is focus. Mm. Focus, focus, focus. Don't stretch yourself too thin. Amazing advice. Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you, Evelyn. This has been an amazing episode. Super practical. We covered a lot of ground on the resources, um, and it was so great to, to get to know both of your stories, entrepreneurial and support. Um, and we cannot wait to see where EDC goes next and where Ellie Bianca goes next. Evelyn, we're here supporting you every step of the way. Thanks so much Thank for joining us. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Evelyn, for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.